Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Design is Not Neutral. Today's podcast guest is Leslie Harris. Leslie Harris is a senior product designer originally from Detroit, Michigan, and currently based in Austin, Texas. Leslie has spent the majority of her career working in an agency setting and at startups spanning the world of ad tech, healthcare, logistics, and fintech. Her focus as a designer includes understanding how to build graceful and ethical solutions for sociological and cultural problems we face today, and potential problems in the future. Inspired by the human condition, Leslie loves digging into problems in the hopes of creating relevant and highly adoptable experiences for the groups that need it most. In addition to her professional experience, Leslie is also a recent graduate from Texas State University's Communication Design Graduate Program. During her studies, she explored how design functions as a mechanism for business and society and the socioeconomic impacts it has on the Black community. Thank you so much and welcome, Leslie. Hey. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Um, so we can just go from there and get started. Um, if I, I just want to know like a little bit more about your background and how you became interested in design and and going to a graduate program for design and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, so I got started in design in a really roundabout sort of way. Um, I was an art kid in high school and then decided in college I wasn't gonna do anything art related because I actually wanted to make money. Um yeah. <laughs> and then so I actually majored in psychology in the beginning oh. um, and I took one psych class and I was like, yeah, no way. Um, so I ended up switching majors to be an art major. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I actually got in the art school, discovered design, um, but it, design really wasn't on my radar and it wasn't necessarily like one of my first choices, um, but something I kind of fell into. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way a lot of people feel about design, especially it's interesting because you were interested in both art and psychology, which is like design is a perfect union of those two things, I think. Um, So where were you in school at? Oh, I went to Grand Valley State University, which is a school in West Michigan um, for undergrad. And then for graduate school, I went to Texas State University. Okay, cool. And you're from Michigan? Yeah, I'm from Detroit originally, born and raised. Um, And so it was kind of easy to make that choice to go to school in West Michigan because it was like my safety school in the beginning. um, I actually wanted to go to an HBCU, but Mm -hmm. I was too afraid to go to a school that might not have all the majors that I potentially wanted to major in. (laughs) (laughs) Needed a lot of options. Yeah. 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 I was like that too. I went in having no idea what I wanted to do. Like, picked up a design minor for the same reason my parents were like how are you going to make money with a studio art major um and ended up really liking it more than anything else I had done um so how did you decide to go to graduate school after undergraduate because a lot of people don't necessarily make that jump to grad school yeah I actually started working first and I I worked in undergrad as a designer so I had an internship probably since my like junior year in undergrad and once I graduated I was working full-time as a designer and I was like left with a feeling that I didn't know enough and I needed to know more Mm. um in the in the beginning and then I would also say like 
I was really upset about the fact that I had never had a black uh, professor in my design education at all. Um, so really anger kind of motivated me to go to grad school because in the beginning I was like, you know, I'll be the change. I'll be that that black design professor. Yeah. Um, so far that has not become true because I'm not teaching, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm only a year out of grad school. So yeah. there's still time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm from Detroit, like I said, like basically my entire life, I almost only had black teachers. So mm -hmm. to go to a space where there were none was not only jarring, but in most of the cases I was doing design projects that resonated with me as a young black woman from the inner city that my professors had no point of reference for that didn't know how to give me feedback that or gave me feedback that I was like that's just not relevant and not, and not helpful mm -hmm. um so yeah for me it was more like you know going to grad school was an opportunity to be that teacher for someone else um and we'll see if that happens one day yeah that's awesome um yeah similarly I wanted to go back and teach because of some you know negative experiences I had with professors um but also I think it's a great way to like you like think more critically about design as a field and how it's built and how it's exclusionary um so when you were in graduate school did you have similar experiences that you had in undergraduate or did you find that people were more receptive Similar experiences still, yet the thing about grad school is that you're kind of defining your own charter, you know? So it's like, yeah. whatever you want to do is what you want to do and you're paying for it. So literally no one can tell you otherwise. <laughs> um, so it was more of, I did what I wanted to do and I kind of made it what I needed it to be. Um, so I actually did have one black professor in grad school, but that was it. So yeah. I think that it was still one of those things where I'm like, yeah, there's still a lot of work to do. And I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I went in with the mindset of, yeah, I want to be the person that does that work. But now I'm kind of still thinking through that. Yeah. And is that because you've seen, or I guess why, why do you feel that way now versus then wanting to kind of do that work? I think when... I think the main reason is now a lot of things have happened since I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. I think this sort of um, within the last three years or, you know, the post George Floyd era of the world, mm -hmm. and we've had all sorts of um, shakeups within the design field and seeing what other people believe to be um, a better way of doing design still leads me to believe that a lot of people believe in performance that I don't care to be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, and while I will admit there are quite a few people that are doing work and doing it well, but a lot of the mainstream stuff you see is like not stuff that I want to be a part of at all. <laughs> and so that's kind of like, I have to contend with the fact that like, those are the people that I might have to be surrounded with and mm -hmm. very low tolerance for like performative anything mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where I sit with it now <laughs> yeah. yeah I think that yeah a lot of academia feels performative to me as well especially design research academia which is what your thesis was on um focusing on the um horrible things that can happen through design research and the way we have it structured today. 
Um, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, um, about your thesis work and how you even um, started in that work and started in that space. Yeah, so my thesis was pretty interesting in that I didn't know what I was doing in the very beginning, just like every other student yeah. trying to come up with a thesis topic. Um, in the beginning, I actually started to think about um, Black women and pregnancy and just all of the horrible stats that we hear about the fact that Black women die from pregnancy 3.5 times more than any other group. Um, and I, you know, in the beginning was like, is that you know, stupidly, is that a design problem? Um, because I think that a lot of design education teaches you that design can be applied to anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, as I started digging more into it and just started thinking through it, um, I realized like design has no place here. Um, there's nothing for us to do here. Uh, this has so many socioeconomic issues that are all intertwined in here and I'm not qualified for the job, right? Yeah. So I started there um, and then I started thinking about that, like the fact that I came to the conclusion that like design has no place here was actually a good thing. But I don't think a lot of designers have that sort of um, conclusion as well. Mm -hmm. And so I started building upon that idea, like designers being in places that they shouldn't be. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where my thesis came about. And I started, you know, thinking about how designers often have this like um I call it like this inherent optimism that you know whatever they try to solve it can be solved as long as you know you follow your methodologies and you um solve the little bit of the problem that you know about um and I also started to dig into the fact that designers are kind of granted this um sense of power within mm -hmm. that um and that they are allowed to do a lot of things without being qualified to do them Mm -hmm. um, and so I started digging into that and thinking about like, what are the ramifications of all of these people armed with their methodologies being to being able to go out in the world and like change things. Um, yeah. And so that's really where my thesis came from. And what I did was built a framework where it helps designers sort of plug in um, the things that they're building and start to think about what are the potential outputs and how is that going to affect the future? And uh, the culmination of my thesis was kind of going past, present, future and showing how some designs of the past affected what is now our present, but was uh, those original designers future. Yeah, that's really interesting that um, I felt similar in the first year of my graduate program, like you need to pick something and you need to come up with a solution but often the spaces I was working in they didn't need solutions they maybe needed design help but that was more for like informational packets or like pamphlets like that's the work that a lot of these community organizations need or like better websites that like can reach people with better resources they already have all of it there I'm not going to come in and like solve that I can help them with some of these things but that solution that you're talking about just doesn't exist often. It's not, and I think academia is not quite comfortable with that yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. an understatement, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be diplomatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and how was the kind of 
reaction in your graduate program with the work that you were doing? Because I imagine that a lot of the professors, uh, I'm not sure how your graduate program was set up, but I imagine that a lot of the professors were actively doing some of the things that you were critiquing. Uh, Yeah, Uh, the work was kind of, I think the the biggest piece of feedback I heard was, how are you going to tie this back to design? Um, which to me was a really easy solve. Like I could see it and I couldn't really explain it. And so what I had to do is really start digging and looking to people who had already done the work and start to pull those things together and pull those threads together. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the main piece of feedback was like, how are you going to tie this into design? How are you going to tell a story about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and while I want to say that they believed in me, uh, I don't know that I always felt like that, but yeah. I believed in myself. I knew that I could get this point across. Um, I also had great support from um, my committee to figure it out. Um, and one of my good friends, Sean Harris, who is actually a professor at Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. um, he was very good about helping me find a through line through all of this. Um, because, you know, when you're in it, you get real lost real fast yeah. just because you're like swirling on information. Like I read this study yesterday and, you know, that pertains yeah. to something that I read like three months ago. And yeah. he was very good at like, let's take a step back here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's pull this all together. So um, that was really helpful as well. Yeah. Finding that, that narrative and the storytelling, it's the piece that I think I or maybe everyone struggles with it the most, but I feel like I struggle with it the most. And I'm just like, it makes so much sense in my head, but to anybody else, they're like, what are you talking about? It's like so broad and ambiguous to them. Um, Okay. So I kind of want to go back a little bit to um, design education. And I, I wondered if you taught as a part of your program or if that was a piece of it. I know you were also there during the pandemic as well. So maybe that was not uh, a part of your program. Yeah, there are options to teach. I didn't teach. I worked full-time while I was in grad school. So it was either one or the other. um, And I chose working. So I didn't get to teach. (laughs) More money. Yeah. Yeah. More money, um, less stress, I would say too. Um, And also I was getting industry experience. So I worked at an ad agency for a good long while and a couple of startups as well. but the folks that I do know that um, taught classes that were in my program with me, they really enjoyed it. But I also think like some of the classes that they were teaching were not classes that I was super interested in teaching, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. What type of classes would you be more interested in teaching? I think that now, you know, in relationship to all my my thesis and everything, it's just kind of like I'm more interested in like uh speculative design um I'm more interested in design ethics um why are we building the things that we build and for what um classes like that that really are more about students thinking versus an output Mm -hmm. maybe the output to a design class is actually a written piece of paper versus an actual project um Mm -hmm. I think that something like that could be interesting I've never been in a program where that was the case, but maybe that's something that could happen. Yeah. And so in your program, there weren't design ethics or any kind of like design history, maybe? Design history, yes. Um, We had postmodernism and modernism in grad school um, and then all types of design history in undergrad. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. I feel like those two things, uh, maybe you agree or disagree with me, but like could go very well hand in hand to show, you know, how things have failed <laughs> and how design has been built in, in an ethical way. Um, but I do wonder, like, from your perspective, what would that design ethics course, have you thought about what it would look like or how it would be set up in any way? Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you bring up history because I always go back to, like, Megs and think about that book and just Not how Meg. it exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how, oh, like when I was an undergrad, it was yeah. the, the go-to. Yeah. yeah. I should clarify like that too, in know? my mind um, what design history should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what it should be. But what it is in the books can often be very, very different. And I think that that's, you know, like the thing that we're all trying to figure out is like, how do we make design history, not only one relevant to new students, because a lot of students really don't care, but also too, like, how do we tell it correctly? Um, and I think that we're all trying to figure that out and digging into that. But like, every once in a while, I'll go pick up like Meg's and just like, scan a page. And I'm like, Oh, God, <laughs> like this isn't quite right. But you know, more power to you, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I it is shocking to me that it's still this I mean it shouldn't be but like that it's still the same I've looked at like the statistics like even like just the basic breakdown of like who they include and who they don't include and it's so insane to me it's just like 80 percent white guys and then like some white women and like that's kind of it and like they make new ones like every three years I think and or every five to ten years and I how is that still the same? But um, yeah, I, I haven't looked at a recent edition. I haven't looked at it since college. <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, well, it, well, at least since undergrad, probably. Yeah. Um, but to, to get back to your original question of like what an ethics design course might look like. Um, the reason that I kind of built the framework that I built in my thesis was to start thinking about something like that. Mm. Um, but really to help people think about the things that they make and what the potential outcomes might be of that thing, right? So I think an ethics course would look like a deep critical thought into, maybe it's not a project that a student has done, but maybe it's like a project they admire, right? Yeah. So this project you think is really super awesome. I want you to give me a critical review of like what this could mean for these various um, parts of the world or what it could mean to this community or what would it mean if they pick this project up, say it's a US based project, what would it mean if they put it somewhere else in another country? Mm -hmm. um, and really just thinking about work critically and trying to understand like, was that harmful? Was it helpful? Was it needed? <laughs> you know, like things like that. I think that we don't really teach our students to think about things like that. It's just more like make a thing. Um, and make it good. And we are kind of like glorified salespeople. That's pretty much what designers are. We're, we're tool makers for hire for um, whether it be like individuals or institutions, um, like companies or governments or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But I think taking a moment to help students understand the implications of their work is really important. Mm. Yeah. 
And do you, now that you're back in a professional setting, do you try to bring some of that into your work now um, or bring it to your company? Um, so I have a very strange opinion on this. Um, the answer is no. And that's because I don't believe that ethics and um, trying to do the best that we can do in business often go together. They're like Mm -hmm. oil and water for the most part, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because what's best for a business is making money, right? Um, And that's not always the when money is involved, it's already tainted. Everything's already messed up once money is involved. So I I don't necessarily try to bring some of my um, points of view on design to my professional job. Um, but I do do work outside and try to introduce the concepts to students informally, obviously, since I'm not a professor or anything. But just being vocal, doing things like this podcast and being vocal about like that people are thinking about these things and that it's okay if you, whoever you may be, think about them too. Yeah, that's great. And did you find, you mentioned that you kind of looked for people that were thinking these same things that you were when you were in graduate school. Did you find people and resources out there that assisted you in that? Were you able to find like these conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but not necessarily designers in the very beginning. Um, I looked towards um, different disciplines first. Um, and I looked towards just like people I knew out in the world that were doing like social justice work in general. Um, so one of the books that I talk about quite a bit, it's kind of like one of the the big references I use in my thesis is Race After Technology by Ruha mm-hmm. Benjamin. It's a really, really good book, but it helped to give me a lot of language for a lot of the things that I was trying to explain because I have experienced them in my work as a designer um, in professional settings, but I didn't really have the vocabulary to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, just more of like, you know, I get the vibe that this is wrong, but I can't tell you why it's wrong. It just, it doesn't seem right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can't go off vibes and try to explain that to other people. So. <laughs> Um, that book was really, really helpful for me. Um, and a couple of other, uh, great books, um, Algorithms of Oppression by Safia Noble was a really good one. Um, I'm blanking on the other ones, but I've, I've read some really, really good books. I think like the first semester of my thesis, all I did was read. Mm. Um, I didn't even try to write anything down. I just kind of read and took notes and, just kind of like, okay, I've been taught design thinking and all of these design methodologies for, you know, ever. What are other people saying? Yeah. And that was a really good way for me to start, you know, leveling my thinking out firstly, and then also gaining the language to explain it to others. Yeah. And that kind of, um, that's so funny. I have it right here, actually. Because... Yeah, it's such a good book. You should see mine. It's like got like <laughs> I just ordered everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's really, really good. Mine has like post-its hanging out of it. It's actually <laughs> kind of scary. I should probably buy another copy. <laughs> but how do you I guess encourage students because you mentioned that you talk to students now or maybe in a mentorship capacity to kind of explore this like 
uncomfortable feeling that they might be having towards some of the things that they're being taught. Yeah, point them in the same direction that I went to books. Um, yeah. A lot of the students I talk to as well are like students that are like just graduated or about to graduate. And they're like, what's next? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good space to meet somebody too, because they're like, I'm about to try to work in this field now. And mm-hmm. I want to be the best I can possibly be. And also, I think that while I do think a lot of designers have it, that inherent optimism that they can solve all of these problems, they want to solve problems because in most cases, they're trying to do good, you know? Mm. So you have these people that are trying to do good things, but they don't actually, you know, they're new to the field. They still feel uncomfortable with what they have to do, but they know they want to do it well. Mm. Um, and so just pointing people in the direction of like the literature that I've read has been really helpful. But I also like realizing that a lot of people are not going to read a book and just give them the answer. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, while you, you, this feeling that you have, it's valid. And this is, yeah. you know, this is what people are saying about that. And it's like light bulbs every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, wow. Okay. I didn't, I, I wasn't tripping. Um, I am thinking about this the right way. Um, and now what do I do with that information? Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, a good start to open in the conversation and helping people start to think about things. Yeah, I think even that validation of like, no, you're not alone in thinking this way, and and it's it's it is valid, and it's you're not wrong, um, is necessary. I think looking outside of, you know, what I was surrounded by helped me in that way too. Um, and are you there? Did you find in like more recent years that? Because it has been a bit of time since you've completed your thesis. Um, did, have you found that these conversations are more prevalent in this design space? Um, yes, I think they've always been prevalent, but I just haven't been privy. Um, <laughs> so I've I graduated about a year, a little bit over a year ago, mm-hmm. um, and I think that like in my, all of my time as a student, I was never really into like critical thought like that what just wasn't in our classrooms and I'm like why not mm-hmm. um and having having by chance stumbled upon a lot of these things for me was really really interesting um but also just like I don't know I feel like I should have gotten more of that in my education but it ended up that I ended up stumbling upon it on my own and kind of digging into it myself, which opened a whole new world and a whole new set of designers that I didn't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's right now maybe too much responsibility on the student to find these things versus it being in the curriculum. Um, Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's why I'm pro. Just like give them the answers. Like (laughs) we've been in a pandemic for three years. Everyone's stressed. These kids are trying to figure out how they're going to get their first job. Like just give them the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And do you find your, I guess, like mentees, um, is there a certain program that you find them through? Do they reach out to you? How does that happen for you? Um, multiple ways. So sometimes I reach out to uh, students that are coming out of the undergraduate program at my um, alma mater, so Texas State. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like um, friends in industry who know students who are asking the same questions that I was asking a couple years ago. And they're like, hey, 
can you talk to this kid? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, it's also like um, professors that have like portfolio classes and they want me to like help these students figure out like what their portfolio needs to look like. And they're asking like bigger questions than just like, you know, how to set up a resume or make sure that their website looks good. So mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's more random than um, one would think. Mm -hmm. um, I never really actually like seek people out. That's not really my thing. It's just like people stumble upon my work. They reach out and we'll talk. I mean, just like you and I, that's yeah. how, how we met. <laughs> um, yeah, just put it out there. So people reach out to you more. <laughs> Set it up. Um, so how, this is kind of off base, but how in the classroom, and this mm -hmm. could be also with the people that you mentor, but how would you define to them what a successful design execution looks like, or does that really even exist? I think that's a really, really interesting question. Um, I don't think that we know what good execution for design actually looks like. Mm -hmm. um, is Does good design execution mean it's not harmful? Does it mean that it can go to your client and your client gives it a thumbs up? Um, obviously in most, you know, classroom settings, it's you have a brief, a prompt, Mm -hmm. You have these sort of guidelines that you sit within and produce a thing. We'll have critique. We'll talk through it with the class um, and you'll keep pushing until you, you get to that solution. Um, I think I try not to advise students. I'll take that back. I know what works to get you a job. I know what works to get you in the door. Um, and which sometimes that's all students are really looking for, right? Like they're not trying to ask or figure out the answers to existential questions about the field of design. I know the answer to that. I can give you that all day, every day. Um, but these these bigger questions, what does a successful design execution look like within the context of like, um, you know, is, is design harmful and all of that? I don't think that I even know the answer to that. I don't think anyone does quite yet, but I know that there's a lot of people that are working to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I guess you kind of answered my question, but um, I was going to ask, and like in a classroom setting, if you have given a brief out, um, what kind of things are you looking at to make sure that that student is successful in their work um, in the, if we're just talking about the field in the actual field of design? Yeah, I mean, making making sure that they're representing themselves well, because like as a designer, you pretty much have to like sell yourself in your portfolio because that's the main thing that's going to get you hired for the most part. Um, I think that the design industry is starting to become interesting in that like they don't always require like you need a degree anymore. It's like, yeah. can you do the work? Um, have you done something similar in the past? I think that's a lot of the things that people care about these days. Um but making sure that their, you know, overall brand is consistent, making sure that they know how to explain themselves. A lot of students don't know how to talk about their work. Like the the only space that they've ever talked about their work is within the classroom. And they don't know how to get in front of people and present, which I also struggled with like a lot early in my career, because I'm 
a classic introvert. I do not like being in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be the least noticed person in the room. And <laughs> design in a professional space means you're getting up in front of people and talking about the thing that you made and yeah. waiting for feedback. Um, and a lot of designers don't graduate with those sorts of skills. They're just like, you know, I know how to talk about it to my classmates, but they're also doing the same project that you're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so understanding how to explain your work to people without that don't have context that like your professor would or your fellow classmates would is really important. And just kind of putting yourselves in situations where you can hone in on those kinds of skills. Yeah. I think it's really easy to hide behind your work and design, um especially I'm fully freelance now and I'm like this is great I don't really have to talk to people that much like I can very much hide myself but that skill kind of goes away when I'm when I'm doing that of being able to explain my work to people and I think you're right I don't think it's incorporated similarly as like design ethics and design history not incorporated enough into curriculum um because like you said you're all doing the same project so there's not too much to say. You can't go from the beginning. Um, and then you go in the field and you expect everybody to get it. Um, yeah. yeah. Talking to non-designers about design, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, um, it's something you learn over time. It's like, you have to do it in order to learn how to talk about it, but mm-hmm. you have to do it first, you know? Yeah, definitely. What is a big question. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. I think. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, what do you see as, it's like a two-part question. What do you see okay. as the future of graphic design education or design education? Um, and in that, how do you now define design? That is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so the the future of design. We'll we'll start with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the future of design and design education really means that we have to break down what design education actually means, mm-hmm. um, break down the history, question everything. But I also think that likely means that we'll destroy a lot of what design currently means. Right? You'd have to. Um, do I think that design? education will do that? No. (laughs) Um, But I know that there are plenty of people that are working on things like that and moving in that sort of direction. Um, I don't think, I, I, and I mean like really moving in that direction, not, you know, doing the, the small level, like in design thinking, we shouldn't use personas because they may introduce bias type of work. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Um, great. Good start. Um, keep going. (laughs) Um, I mean, like really breaking this down, like, um, what are designers simply not going to do? Do we have a code of ethics by which we will all decide that this is, you know, going to be the charter that we all, um, look to follow? Mm -hmm. Um, what things will we recognize and honor in our work? Those, those are the kinds of questions that we need to ask for, design, because I don't think we ask them often enough. Um, I also think that design in the future decoupled from commercialization and decoupled from the industry of design is where design starts to actually get interesting. 
Um, but I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon, just because design shifts just as industry shifts, because design is, again, is in the industry of selling itself as useful. Mm -hmm. um, and so like whatever industry or business finds to be useful in that moment, design will meet that need. And that's just how it's worked. Um, that's why we have like a jillion titles that mean different things, but the same thing. So UX, UX, UI, product, um, those are all the same sort of thing, but also like depending on where you go, they're different. Yeah. It's because design is trying to fit a need, um, but we haven't, you know, we, we lost the plot along the way, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think the future of design, I think design is going to play it safe and stay coupled with industry, but I think a, a real interesting future would be if we move away from um, design as business and start to think about things more critically mm -hmm. uh, and start to think about the fact that the things that we make um, do have inherent politics that come along with them. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was the first part. I forgot the second question. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Yeah, I think you kind of answered it, but it, okay, was, cool. um, <laughs> it was like, what, how do you define design? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. No, I kind of did. Um, yeah. But I will also say that like design is really too big to be defined as one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is like, I think the, the easiest way to define it is like design is a communication tool. Mm -hmm. um, but then you start getting into like, design thinking and all of that other stuff. And, you know, it, it can vary, but I think that design is like too, too big for us to define it as one thing. But I think a communication tool that really focuses on building a system for um, either like, you know, your client, a business, whatever, a person and an individual in order to convey some sort of message. Mm. And you mentioned uh, kind of how it, how tied it is to commercialism and how we make up these things like, I mean, make up UX, UI products mm -hmm. and, you know, they're all kind of the same thing. Um, what does it look like without, without business, without capitalism? It starts to get in the space where we can begin to imagine something other than dollars and cents at the end of the day you know um, we're always like in today's world we're always trying to figure out how we can inc increase this or that or um, get the most clicks or you know something like that and I think that um, it it has really like brought design to a place where it is a function of white supremacy that holds up capitalism um, and designers end up being the people that are doing that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that another one of the questions, one of the prompts that you gave me was just like, do you, do I think that design can ever truly be neutral? Yeah. Uh, and I think the answer is no. <laughs> um, but I think that a lot of people come from the school of a lot of design is not really trying to make a statement or it's not really trying to be political. And I don't, I don't think that that's true. Um, I was actually watching um, the Double Wears product kind of recently, yeah. <laughs> and there's this scene um, where 
Meryl Streep is like, you know, having one of her crazy moments in that movie. And they're like talking about the color. The blue? Yes, really yeah. blue. Um, and Anne Hathaway's character like laughs at it. And it's like, you guys are making a lot of fuss over this, you know, mm-hmm. one color. And she, you know, she just called it blue. And and Meryl does this like really long like monologue, like, oh, you think this has nothing to do with you? Um, and you know, this blue represents like millions of dollars spent and so many people's jobs. And it's like really funny that you think that you have been exempt from the fashion industry when really like the sweater that you're wearing right now, because she had on a blue sweater. She's like, the sweater that you're wearing right now, you pick that um, because we picked it for you ahead of time, right? Yeah, I think that's like the greatest example of design. And I always say, I have this ongoing joke that only designers get, but like, (laughs) it's like, I always say that too many like world changing decisions are made because some white people got in a room with some sticky notes. (laughs) um which I think is kind of like the design industry in one sentence (laughs) (laughs) um that's funny you bring out that um I play that clip in my color theory class because I'm just like look at there's so much more than just a color there's so much behind it um and the same thing with design it's like we sit there and we don't think beyond what we're making in our computer, but we're making a culture, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like we're building something that exists in the world and millions of people are going to see it. But you you, you stop thinking about it after a certain point um, because you're just churning through things. Yeah. And you're making decisions for people before they even know that that was the case. And yeah. like, do, you, do we really think about the power that that holds? I don't think so. Um, and that's yeah. really super important. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think that's that's kind of all the questions I have for you. Um, cool. Thank you so much for this. <laughs> thank you. This was fun. If you liked this episode and want to hear more from us, please check us out on Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.